You're listening to a sermon from Leewood Baptist Church. For more information about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com. If you have a Bible, turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. These seven or eight weeks here in the fall, we are going through 1 Timothy, looking at and seeing that what is God's design for His church. 1 Timothy is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a guy obviously named Timothy. Timothy and Paul had a very neat, uh, very um, unique relationship. Timothy and Paul had met in a city called Lystra. Paul had traveled around planting and starting churches and while he was on one of his missionary journeys, he met Timothy, and Paul began to mentor him, began to disciple him. Paul began to pour into Timothy's life spiritually, and as Timothy grew in his knowledge of Christ and grew to follow God in a greater way, that Paul began sending Timothy out on missions to these different church plants to minister there, to help them get set up by establishing pastors and elders in these churches. Well, then, during one of Paul's um, ministry, one of his missions, he started churches in a city called Ephesus, and an issue started and popped up in Ephesus where false teachers came into the, the Ephesian church and beginning to spread false, false doctrine about Christ. Now, we don't know the, the exact details of that false doctrine. We don't know exactly what was being taught about Jesus that was wrong, but Paul sent Timothy to walk this dysfunctional church in Ephesus through the bad doctrine and to walk them through this. So while Timothy was in Ephesians, Paul writes him a letter to help him see what is God's design, what is God's blueprint for the church. We saw two weeks ago when we started all of this that we started with a simple definition of what the church is. The church is the community of true believers. We talked about how the church is global, that we have, if you are a true believer in Jesus Christ, we have brothers and sisters all around the world that make up the global church, and we're part of the global church. One neat thing, I said this a couple of weeks ago, but one of the awesome things about being a part of the church within the last 24 hours across time zones all across our globe, brothers and sisters in Christ have been worshiping, and we're just part of that. The church is also local. We make up a local church right here at the corner of 83rd and State Line. So that is the church, is a community of true believers. So within this community of true believers, Paul begins addressing the false doctrine. He encouraged the church in Ephesus through Timothy to make sure that they devoted themselves to sound teaching, teaching that conformed to the gospel, that everything they did needed to center on the gospel. And we saw that the church must revolve around the gospel. That is the engine that drives the church is the gospel. So we talked about the importance of that. Because the only thing we are in the lives, we are in the business of people. The church is all about people. And what will change the lives of people? It's only the gospel that can do that. Only the gospel can change 
a life of an individual. And so as we desire as a church to see lives change to become like Jesus Christ, the church must revolve around the gospel. We also talked about some misconceptions about the church. The church is not a building. There's nothing special about this building. There's not, this is not, we are not walking on holy ground in here. This is no different than any other building. There's no, nothing different about the building. The church is not a place. It's not a nonprofit organization or a charity. It's people. And anything that becomes more important than the gospel and the church, I was thinking about this this week, anything that becomes more important than the gospel and the church is an idol. Oftentimes we are guilty as true believers of Jesus Christ. We are guilty of idolatry. Because in our worship, we make something more important than Jesus in the gospel. Then last week, we saw that the church is a place full of broken people. I gave the illustration of a country club versus a hospital, and we saw that the church is not a country club. It's not a gathering place. The church is it's a hospital where people come and receive mercy and healing. So after in chapter 1, if we've already walked through chapter 1, we've seen Paul denounce the idle speculations of the false teachers, that the false teachers were speaking out of ignorance. Perhaps these false teachers could have even been considered good people, but they just had no idea what they were talking about. So Paul denounces the, idea, the, the idle speculations here, and then he turns now into chapter 2, If the church is centered on the gospel, what does true gospel living look like? If we as the church are supposed to be centered on the gospel, and as as people that make up the church and the gospel is central in our lives, what does true gospel living look like? If we are going to live in light that we are sinful and because God loved us and sent his son Jesus to come die on the cross for our sins and then was resurrected to bring brand new spiritual life and the life change that the gospel brings, what does true gospel living look like? Well, Paul begins to unpack that for us here in chapter 2. So look at chapter 2 and we're going to start reading at verses 1 through 4. It says this, First of all then, I urge that petitions, prayers, and intercessions and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all those who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come come to the knowledge of the truth. So Paul immediately dives into true gospel living for the church is involved in prayer. He talks about prayer. He says, first of all, Paul's starting to make a list. Paul loves to make lists in his writing. And he says, first of all, I urge you that prayer, petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. So true gospel living within the church is all about prayer. And Paul gives us an idea on how to pray. 
I think of Luke chapter 11. You may not be familiar with that passage, but in Luke chapter 11, Jesus, his disciples came to Jesus and they asked them, Lord, teach us to pray. It's kind of interesting that the disciples did not come to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to preach. Now, Jesus was a great teacher and a great preacher, but that's not what the disciples asked him. We don't ever have it recorded that the disciples came to Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to do those miracles. Now, Jesus did lots of miracles, but we don't have it recorded where the disciples ever came to Jesus and said, teach us to do those miracles. But how Jesus prayed must have stood out. Because in Luke chapter 11, the disciples come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus began to unpack what that prayer looks like. See, at the, at the center of the life of a believer must be prayer. Well, what is prayer? Prayer is pretty simply just communication between God and us. See, as a, if we are considered to be people of the church, true believers in Christ, we enter into a relationship with God, and that relationship must involve communication. Just like any other human relationship, there has to be communication. If there's not communication, the relationship dies. And so Paul urges Timothy to encourage and challenge the church to pray. To pray for what? I kind of like in verse, at the end of verse 1, he says, Be made for everyone. Pray for everyone. Isaac sometimes leads our family in prayer at meals, and he just says, God bless everyone. Well, that kind of about covers it, doesn't it? God bless everyone. Well, here Paul is saying to pray for everyone. And then in verse 2, he kind of unpacks it for this culture going on 2,000 years ago. He says to pray for kings and all those who are in authority. Now, it's interesting. That would have been a challenging statement to make to these people because they lived during the time of the Roman Empire. Nero was the emperor. And if you know anything about Roman history, Nero was not a nice guy, especially the Christians. It's historically, uh, it's historically recorded that Nero would have these great parties in his garden, and he would pour oil and tar over Christians and light them on fire to light his garden parties. Was not a good man. And here Paul is saying, as people of the gospel, pray for your king, pray for your emperor, and all those who are in authority. We live right now, I'm not going to dive into this rabbit hole and cesspool that is the political climate of our country, but we have to begin asking ourselves the question as the church, what are we to do in this politically charged environment that we find ourselves? I'm not talking about if we're Democrats, Republicans, or any other political party. What do we do as people of the gospel in this incredibly charged political environment that we find ourselves? And I think the answer is found here in 1 Timothy, and it's going to sound simplistic, and I don't want to sound overly simplistic, but we are to pray. 
we are to pray. We are to pray for everyone. The church is to pray for everyone, even those that we may not like. If we have a problem with someone, we ought to pray. If we don't like someone, we ought to pray for them. If we have disagreements with someone, we ought to pray for them. But Paul says that prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings must be made for everyone, and the church ought to be a place of prayer. And he goes on, he says, pray for the kings and all those who are in authority so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Faith family, our culture right now, politically and everything else going on in our culture, desperately needs believers that are tranquil and quiet in all godliness and dignity. And unfortunately, oftentimes, as the church, we are not quiet. We rear our ugly head. We are not tranquil. And if anything, our cultural right, our cultural culture needs right now is quiet. Because as people of prayer, here's what prayer is. When we pray, we are admitting something. When we, when we pray, we are admitting that He is God and we are not. Prayer is a sign and posture of submission and humility. Of saying, God, you are in control. I am not in control. I cannot control anything in my life. Only you can. And so we run to God in prayer and we acknowledge His sovereignty. We acknowledge that God is in complete control of every area of our lives. And as a byproduct of that, we develop what we call trust. And so as we pray, trust is developed. And as we trust, we lead, we lead a tranquil and quiet life. There's a peace that comes. There's a dignified characteristic that comes a part of us. And then so in this loud, noisy, out-of-control culture that we find ourselves in, and I make the application to us now, but it's really nothing compared to what this Ephesian church 2,000 years ago found themselves in. So let's not make ourselves into victims. But in this crazy, chaotic culture we find ourselves in, we desperately need to be quiet, to be dignified, to have a posture of peace. And then he continues to unpack this idea. Paul says, this is good. And it pleases God, our Savior. And then it goes back into 
verse 4, who wants everyone to be saved. And so we have this tied into verse 1 to verse 4. If you like to write in your Bible, I encourage you to draw an arrow from verse 4 to verse 1. There's a connection here. Because Paul in verse 1, he says, petitions, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings need to be made for everyone. And then down to verse 4, who wants everyone to be saved? So one of the greatest petitions and intercessions that we must bring as the church is for people to be saved and to come and to come and know the truth. To know the truth about God, to know the truth about Christ, the gospel, the impact on our lives of the gospel, that is the center of our prayer. And so if we want to be a community of true believers whose lives are centered on true gospel living, our prayers must be for people to come to know Christ and to know the gospel. So yes, we are to pray, everyone, pray for everyone, but pray for everyone to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. But oftentimes in the church when we pray, and this is not a bad thing, we pray for sick people. And we ought to pray for sick people. Don't hear me wrong, but that doesn't where it stops. We must pray for the sick physically, but also the sick spiritually. Pray for people to come to know Christ and to know the truth. Because ultimately, like I said a few minutes ago, we are in the business of life change. And the reality is, I can't change a life. You can't change a life. Only the Holy Spirit can change a life. Only the power of the gospel can change a life. And that involves prayer. And somehow in God's sovereignty, he has set it up to where we get to participate in his redemptive plan through prayer. But so many of us, so many times, we sit on the sidelines in our prayer. And when we pray, yes, we pray for sick people as we should, and we pray for physical needs as we should, but we're sitting on the sidelines of God's redemptive plan and not praying for his redemptive plan to take place. So I ask us the question, when was the last time, let's start individually, when was the last time in our individual lives where we were so burdened for the soul of someone to come to know Christ where we couldn't help but petition and intercede on the behalf of that person to pray for that person to come to know Christ? When's the last time you and I were so burdened for our neighbors that live around us that don't know Christ? When was the last time you and I were so burdened for the spiritual condition of our coworkers that all we could do was cry out to God and pray for them? When was the last time in our schools with our kids that we cried out on behalf of the students in the school and the parents and the administration and the teachers cried out so they can be saved and know Christ? When was the last time we as a faith family here on the corner of 83rd and State Line and as thousands upon thousands upon thousands of cars with people in them drive by our church campus, when was the last time we as a faith family cried out to God to reveal himself to our community, to our neighborhood, to those who drive by?
See, the church, as God's designed it in His blueprint for it, is to be a place of prayer where people, where His people, the true believers that make up the church, are praying for the souls of everyone. Let's keep going. Let's look at verse 5. God's Word says, For there is one God and one mediator between God and humanity. The man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. Folks, you've heard me say the word gospel, which means good news, a lot in the last 10 to 15 minutes. And you might be saying, well, what is the gospel? Adam, you keep saying that we, need to, we as, a, as the church need to be centered on the gospel, that we as God's people, the community of true believers, need to live in true gospel living. What is the gospel? Well, Paul does us a huge favor in verses 5 and 6. He breaks the gospel down for us. So here's the gospel. He says, for there is one God... And one mediator between God and humanity. So here's the reality. There's one God, and there's humanity, that's you and I, and there's some mediation that needs to be done. How many of you have ever gone through the process of mediation? How many of you have ever done that before, okay? A lot of times it can be done in a business setting where there's mediation done, but, or there's a disagreement that's, that happens, and there must be a mediator, so this idea of mediation is you have two people on opposite sides of an issue, and there needs to be a go-between, a bridge, a mediator. Not like a rock flying through space, but a person that is a mediator, that's there to mediate. Well, there needs to be a mediator between God and humanity. Did you under realize that? that between us as humanity and as God and God there needs to be some mediation done because at the core of who God is he is holy as we just sang God is holy he has never sinned there's no sin in him there's no imperfection in God and so because of that he is holy and then we as human beings are unholy. We are full of imperfections. We are full of sin. We are cursed by sin. We can't help but sin. And so there's a natural divide there. God is holy. We are unholy. There's a divide there. And so we need mediation we need someone to fix that broken relationship because God does want a relationship with us. And so God sent Jesus to come and be that mediator, to be that bridge. I think of it like this at the Grand Canyon. I've never been to the Grand Canyon, and I really want to go. But from the pictures and video I've seen, the Grand Canyon's really big. And so if if I was on one side of the Grand Canyon, you were on the other side, we would need a bridge to cross. 
And so we can think of this, the, the, the reason why we need mediation, because of God's holiness, he's on one side of the Grand Canyon, and we are on the other side, and we need a mediator. We need a bridge to come to bring us together. Now, you might be a better person than I am. You might be good. You might be a better person than me. So if we were standing at the Grand Canyon, you might be able to jump further than me to get to the other side. Or I might be able to jump further than you, but the reality is it doesn't matter because neither one of us are making it. So we need a bridge. We need a mediator. And so spiritually speaking, there is a canyon between us and God. And you might be better than me or I might be better than you, but it really doesn't matter because neither one of us are making it. So we need a bridge, we need a mediator, and that's Jesus Christ. And Paul explains what Christ did. It says, who gave, in verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all. What does that word ransom mean? It, mean, it refers to someone, it refers to purchasing someone's release. If you were held hostage, if I were held hostage, a ransom must be paid, being held for ransom. So there's a price that has to be paid for freedom. Well, Jesus Christ didn't pay the ransom for us in money. It says, no, verse 6, who gave himself as a ransom for all. So here's what happened. We needed mediation. And so God and us are separated because of his holiness, our unholiness. And so Jesus came as the mediator and he gave himself upon the cross, died for us as a ransom for the payment for our release from sin. And so as we understand as there's one God and Jesus is quote, co-equal God, God became the mediator for us. God initiated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we have this mediation. We have this bridge to where we can cross that canyon and we can have relationship and commune with God. And the relationship is fixed. And it's only through belief in Jesus that that can happen. Folks, right there, that is the gospel. And our lives and the church must center around that fact. And when we begin to understand the reality of the gospel, that Jesus was the mediator, mediator between God and us, that changes our lives. It changes everything. To wherein when our culture's, culture is going nuts, it doesn't matter why we have a mediator between us and God. And that brings a peaceful, quiet, tranquil, dignified life. Paul also wrote in Galatians 1.4, says, Jesus gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of God our, the God, God our Father. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That is gospel-centered life. He's saying it's all about Jesus. Even the life I live, it's by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It's all about Jesus. 
Jesus even told his disciples in Matthew 20, verse 28, 28, he said I, he, that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so as a community of true believers, we believe this, we follow this, we proclaim the gospel. We pray for everyone to know this reality of a mediation between God and man. We pray and we work for people to see that Christ has given his life as a ransom for many. And so I have two questions for us this morning. One, have you realized, have you believed that Jesus has come to be your mediator between God and yourself? Have you believed that Jesus has given his life as a ransom for you? Not just believed it as historical fact, but have you believed it to where it's changed your life? And then for us as individuals and as the church, the true community of believers in Christ, when was the last time we prayed for others to know this? When's the last time you and I were so broken over the spiritual state of our neighbors, our coworkers, our family, where we couldn't help but pray for them to know Christ? So we as the church and as individuals grow to know Him better, our lives will be centered on the gospel and the blueprint for God's, the blueprint God has for our lives will take place as well for the church. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the good news that even though we are sinners and you are holy, you have made a way to fix and to re- model our relationship with you through the mediator Christ Jesus. Jesus, thank you for your humility and that you came and you died for us, that you gave your life a ransom for us. You loved us so much for that. Even though we are unworthy of that love, we just say thank you for that love. And Jesus, I pray that if there's anyone here that has never come to know you, I pray that you would open their eyes, soften their heart to their need of you. God, then I pray for those of us that make up your church, the community of true believers. Help us be people of prayer. Cause us to, through our prayer life, to lead a tranquil and quiet life. That when our culture looks at the church, that they would see a life of peace, of dignified people. And that through the dignity that you can only bring us, that it would give us opportunities to share the gospel. God, make us people of the gospel. Center us on the gospel. Cause us to avoid the temptation of idol worship, of even good things that can become idols. Help us to never fall into those traps. 
but help us as a faith community here at Leewood to make you non-ignorable. God, give us as a church such a heart for our community. Give us a heart for our neighborhoods. Give us a heart that breaks for the people that are even right now driving down state line. Break us for those people. Help us to understand that we are missionaries. And we pray that we would see people here come to know the truth and that they would be saved. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you're in the Kansas City area, we'd love to have you be our guest. We're located at 8200 State Line Road in Leewood, Kansas. Worship services are on Sunday mornings at 1030. To learn more about us, visit our website at leewoodbaptist.com.